Hey, thanks for listening to the Bellevue Christian Church podcast. We're a church in Bellevue, Pennsylvania, where ordinary people are learning to live everyday life like Jesus. We believe that one way to learn that life is by engaging with an ancient but active collection of books called the Bible every single week. If this teaching leaves you with a question about the content or a story of what God is doing in your life, please send a message to hello at bellevuechristian.church because we'd love to hear from you. We do this from the back, but I'm just going to go ahead and just do it um, this morning myself. Um, This is more than last service. It's taking a lot longer than I thought. Oh, boy. That was, uh, so that number is 101, which is more than last service, not a competition, more last service is 57. But the question I want us to consider this morning is, is this number significant? Does it matter? Um, you know, we, off, we count every week, you know, how many people are here. Every, most churches do that. Um, but does that matter at all? Is it significant that there are 101 people here or not? What if we compared that number with where, how many people were here last week or how many people were here on Easter? What if we compared that number with how many people were here a year ago on this day? Or what if we compared it with 10 years ago on this day? Would it be significant? What if it was higher? What if it was lower? What if it was the same as it was last week or 10 years ago? Would that mean anything to us? Should we care about numbers at all as a church? Or is that completely a worldly thing, something for um, other kind of secular companies, but not for a nonprofit organization or not especially for the church? Or is that something we should pay attention to? Do numbers tell a story? Do they tell the whole story? Do they tell part of a story? Can they um, tell us something just in and of themselves, or do they have to be interpreted? This morning, I want us to begin to kind of think about that, and let us stew over that a little bit, and consider what that number means for our church, um, and what that means for the life of the church. This morning, we're continuing with a series called Spirit-Filled Church. And in this series, what we're doing is we're looking for 12 marks of what it means to be a Spirit-filled community. There are probably more marks than the ones that we chose, but when you look through the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is the story of the first churches. So when uh, Jesus ascended to heaven, uh, or when he resurrected, he, uh, then he taught the disciples, and then he ascended to heaven, and he gave them something called the Holy Spirit, um, which is God's own power and presence filling the life of the church. And you see the church doing all these different things. We talked about how it prayed, how it preached the gospel, how it ate together, um, how it taught from the scriptures, and all these different things that the, the church is doing. But today I want us to consider a sixth mark, one that's often a little bit controversial and one that um, often arises a lot of questions. But I want us to consider what does it mean that a spirit-filled church is actually a growing church? And what does that mean, and what does that not mean? In particular, I want us to consider this one idea this morning, which is that most healthy things are growing. Most healthy things are growing or tend toward growth, whether they want to grow or not. This is just kind of what healthy things tend to do. On the other hand, not every growing thing is healthy. Just because something's growing doesn't necessarily mean that that organization or that company, or especially that church, 
is necessarily healthy. If you have your Bibles this morning, open up to Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. We've been in this passage for about four weeks now. Um, This is the last week we'll be in this passage, and then we'll get to our other six marks. We're about halfway through our series at this point, Um, but this is the last one. Acts 2, 42 through 47 is a a stunning snapshot of the church where you get just a little bit of what the the church was like at its best. Um, And so we're going to actually just pay attention to the last line um, there, but it says this. I'm going to read the whole passage. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And we've talked about a lot of the marks from there. But then here's the last line. It says this, And the Lord added, everyone say added. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's take some uh, time and pray. Lord Jesus, we know that you are here. We know that you're present. We know that this is your church. This church does not belong to us. Lord, we know that when I preach, this is not just my words. And when we open the Bible, Lord, you actually speak into our hearts words that I never even said. Jesus, you want to comfort us. You want to convict us. You want to challenge us. We believe that your scripture is living and active, that it's not just ancient and irrelevant, but it is living and active. And it can speak to us today, no matter whether we're hearing it for the first time or whether we're hearing it for the, 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 the millionth time, Lord God. We know that you are here with us this morning. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So again, I want us to consider what does it mean that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There's a a list that comes out every year. Um, There's a magazine called Outreach Magazine, and we get emailed about this list every year as a church asking us if we would like to um, submit some numbers for this list. But they have a list that comes out by Outreach Magazine, and it's called 100 Fastest Growing Churches in America. And they put this out every year based on data that they collect from churches all over the country, where they put out all this just basically. And what they're trying to do, there's like, it's well-intentioned. And what they're trying to do is basically say, what are some of these churches doing? Why are they growing? Those kinds of things, um, things like that. And there's a lot of data in there, and you can go and you can search that right now if you want to. But some of the data says one church grew by 46%, which for that church meant they added 818 people in one year. Another church grew by 26%, which meant they added 1,537 people in one year. And you could go and you could read through all 100 of those churches, and they all have those kind of um, those kind of numbers. It's terrible for like pastoral self-esteem, but that's sort of what this, this thing is. Um, it's just kind of, they're trying to find out what's, what do these churches have in common, what's linking them together, stuff like that. But often what happens is that when you read articles like this, and this is just one of many that are out there, when you read these things, there's kind of this hidden assumption that's often working in the background. Not necessarily that Outreach Magazine believes, but often that you kind of see working and it's worked its way into the life of the church. It's this idea that growth is everything. That growth is everything. That as long as you're growing, everything else falls into place. As long as you're growing, you're probably healthy. As long as you're growing, everything else should work itself out. And so there's this mindset again that growth is everything. But the question that we have to be more discerning, we have to ask a different kind of question because growth isn't necessarily everything. The question we need to ask is not, is it growing, but is it healthy? Just because something growing, we need to ask, does that mean that it's healthy? So there's another cover story. That was uh, um, the cover story for Outreach Magazine. Here's a cover story from Slate recently. It was back in April. And the cover story was Speed Kills. And in the, uh, in the article, what they're talking about is Facebook, Uber, and Tesla. Uber right here in Pittsburgh. And they're um, looking into them and looking at these organizations that adopted a strategy of rapid growth at all costs. It didn't matter what they did to grow, but their strategy basically was how fast can we grow? How big can we grow in the process? 
process. Um, and so there's this entrepreneur, his name's Paul Graham. Um, he's the founder of uh, uh, one of the most influential startup accelerators um, and also a very popular discussion board. But he wrote a 2012 essay in which he said, startup equals growth. And it's an interesting that if you read what I'm about to read, it could actually apply to some way people think about the church as well. And he wrote this essay, Startup Equals Growth, and it's shaped these three companies and many other companies throughout the world. He says, the only essential thing is growth. Everything else we associate with startups follows from growth. The good news is you get growth, everything else tends to fall into place, which means you can use growth like a compass to make almost every decision you make. Now let's just put the word churches in there. Everything else we associate with churches follows from growth. The good news is if you get growth, everything else tends to fall into place. You see this same kind of mindset weasel its way into the church. Where this thing that if we could just get this thing to grow, then everything would be okay. It would solve all our problems or it would cover up for all of our current problems. We wouldn't have to deal with them. But what ended up happening to some of these companies, and you've seen all of these companies in the news over the past two years, is that because they chose rapid growth over making some of the right decisions, they ended up, it ended up costing them. In fact, it actually ended up costing lives in the case of Uber, where they, they were growing so fast, and they were trying technologies that really the world wasn't ready for when it came to self-driving cars. It led to somebody's death. There was a toxic work environment in the background um, that, was, that was leading to making some poor decisions. And the new CEO of Uber recently said this. She said, we were probably trading off doing the right thing for growth and thinking about competition a little bit too aggressively, and some of those things were mistakes. And what you see is that the same thing is happening in some of those churches that grew faster than ever. Um, It's not all churches. In fact, some churches are really healthy and they're growing very fast. But some churches that have made that list in the past decade have imploded. Their stories have been the same thing. The follow-up pastor has said something very similar to what she said, the CEO of Uber. There's this tendency, again, that mistakes happen where we tend to overlook things when we're growing and when things um, feel like they're headed in the right direction. That Often what happens is finances were handled poorly in the background, or there was sexual misconduct, or they were personality-driven. But there is this mindset, even in the church, that if you get growth, everything else is going to fall into place. In reality, often what happened is everything started to fall apart. Just because something's growing doesn't mean it's healthy. And there's this tendency, though, is that, okay, you got the, over here, you have the growth is everything, people. And then over here, you say, yeah, I agree with that. Growth is nothing. Growth doesn't matter at all. We shouldn't even care about this. I can't believe you would be so demonic as to, you know, to count the people in this church. You know, growth, you shouldn't care about numbers at all. Numbers don't matter. Metrics don't matter. Metrics are unholy. How dare you count anything about how many people got baptized this year or how many people showed up at the church? We shouldn't care about that. We should just focus on doing the right thing. We should just focus on preaching the Bible and don't worry about anything beyond that. And then one of my favorite, I've heard all of these comments, by the way, and one of my favorite comments then is big churches are bad. Um, Like big churches are just necessary because they have a lot of people, there must be something wrong with them, rather than thinking, actually, maybe there's something we could learn from them. And then you also go to the other extreme with the growth is everything. People say small churches are necessarily bad, and that's also not true. There are a lot of factors that going, going on with that. But again, there's this growth is nothing crowd as well, and often we spiritualize that, and we make it look like the Bible doesn't care about growth at all. Therefore, we shouldn't care about growth, and it's less than spiritual to care about growth. But again, Going back to that thought from earlier, most healthy things tend toward growth. Again, there are a lot of factors, which is why I say most, not every. Most healthy things tend toward growth. If a child is healthy, he or she is probably going to grow. Um, 
I don't know a lot about children, but I've had one for a while. They're growing. If a plant is healthy, um, it's probably growing. I'm a terrible gardener, but often healthy plants tend to grow even despite my devices. If a church is healthy, it's probably going to grow. It's not, you can't even help it sometimes. It's like you could try to stop the growth, but if it's healthy, it attracts people. People want to be a part of things. And when you're doing something right, often that ends up leading to growth. And often, if something stops growing or if it starts dying, Often that's a mark that maybe there is something unhealthy happening in the background that we're not aware of or that needs to be discovered. Even if that's not always true, again, that's why I, I, I put a lot of nuance on this. But one of the things that you see, and we're going to talk about in a minute, is that the early church paid attention to numbers. They didn't see those as unholy. They just paid attention to them. They just noted them. And we're going to talk about why we think that is. But the, the early church grew numerically. They didn't just grow spiritually. They grew numerically. You see that. Um, we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But they would have probably made the fast. They were the only church at the time. So they definitely would have made fastest growing churches. But they exploded. Right? I don't know what percentage it is when you grow from 120 to 3,000 in a year. Somebody else can do that math. But I'm sure that they would have made that list because of how fast and how rapidly they were growing at that time. The thing about numbers is that numbers don't tell the whole story as opposed to the growth is everything crowd. But numbers do tell part of a story. And numbers, like everything else, need to be interpreted in order to be helpful. For example, if you've ever taken um, a high school statistics course, um, you probably have taken uh, a re- read a book about how to lie with statistics. You can use numbers to say anything you want. You can use numbers to cover up all kinds of faults if you want. But if we took this number from earlier which is 101. It might be 102. We'll just put another person just in case somebody walked in at this point, where if you take that number and you compare that with years past, or you compare that with last week, or you compare that with some other dates, it will tell you part of a story. There's something going on there. If you compare it with last week, you know, if that number is higher, it might tell you something. If it's lower, it might tell you something. It might just tell you it was a cold day today. Um, if, it's, if, it, if it's the same, it might tell you something. But again, numbers aren't everything. They're just part of the story. So I'm going to go back to this idea that growth, the growth is everything crowd is wrong and the growth is nothing crowd is wrong. Here's what we want to consider is that most healthy things are growing, but not every growing thing is healthy. Growth is not the only indicator of health when it comes to a life of a church, a nonprofit, or really any other organization or company. Numbers are more than everything, um, are less than everything, but they're more than nothing. They tell part of the story. They don't tell the whole story. So numbers have something to do with it. But again, we're trying to figure out what that is. And so if we're a spirit-filled church, like the early church, we should probably, um, we should probably look to them when it comes to what does healthy growth look like. One of the things that you see when you read through the book of Acts, and some of you are doing that you know, right now throughout this series, some of you have done that in a small group or in your personal Bible reading plan, one of the things you start to notice really quickly is the church seemed to mark or note growth often. It seems to be a theme in the book of Acts. It makes you wonder why. Let me just point out a few of those. In Acts 2.41, which we read a few weeks ago, it says about 3,000 people were added that day. Acts 2.47, which we read today, it said the Lord added to their number daily or day by day. In Acts 6.1, which we're going to talk about in a few weeks and some of the inevitable problems that come from growth, it says this, in those days, the number of disciples was increasing. Acts 6.7, the number of disciples increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Acts 9.31, which is kind of a turning point in the book of Acts, it says this, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. And then Acts 11.21 says this, the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. 
And so again, if you're reading through the book of Acts, one of the things you start to notice is this emphasis for some reason on the fact that people are being added to the church. And it makes you wonder why the emphasis. There's no argument that the church is growing in the book of Acts. Well, why do they care? Why are they noting it in this book that Christians are going to be reading 2,000 years later? Why do they think it was relevant? You know, Luke, the author of Acts, when he was collecting all these stories, like a journalist from all these people who were there when this stuff happened live, why does he think it's important to write down the numbers? Was he just obsessed with numbers? Why do you think it was important to note that the church was growing? Here's what I think when it comes to that. I think this is why he notes it over and over, why the church is growing. It's because the church is growing despite cultural conditions that should impede its growth. The church is growing in this first century despite cultural conditions or environmental conditions that should be impeding its growth. That if you looked at all the sociological data at the time, you would have said this thing should not grow. This thing should not work. This thing has a lot against it. There was a lot against it. There was antagonism. It looked like it was creating division within, within um, Judaism at the time. It looked like it was, was starting a, a problem, or which they didn't, Jews didn't want Rome to get involved with this. There was antagonism. It looked like a cult. It looked, they were believing that this Messiah had already come, that the Jews were still waiting for, and that he had come, and that he was worth following, even though he had been killed on a cross. Um, that was offensive to all kinds of different kind of people. But yet... Despite all these conditions that were against it, it was continuing to grow in the midst of it. And for Luke, what I think that he's trying to say is, again, the fact that it's growing should make outsiders stop and say, what is going on here? This thing shouldn't be growing. It should have ceased to exist, yet it's continuing to triumph. Yet people are still being added and still people are following this, even though everything is against it. I don't know much uh, about science. Um, every time I use a science illustration, somebody always corrects me, but I think I got this one down. So in first grade, you know, a lot of us, um, maybe in first or second grade, you do a little experiment where you try to figure out and locate what helps a plant grow. Um, and usually you talk about sunlight, you talk about water, you talk about soil, um, and you talk about oxygen. There are probably more things. I don't know. You can correct me later. Um, but I think those are the minimum kind of things you need to make something grow. And then you like take some of those things away. You take variables away, and you put it in a box, and you see if it grows, stuff like that. Now, I want you to imagine we did that sort of experiment here over the next six months. We, took, um, we didn't even put soil. We just took a seed. We put it inside of a, a pot, and we put that pot inside of a box so it had no sunlight. We didn't water it. We made sure we vacuum sealed the box so it didn't get any oxygen. We didn't even give it miracle grow, right? After six months, you know, all the first graders open it, you would have expected nothing to happen, right? That's normal because the conditions of the box were limiting its growth. The environmental conditions were not set up for that plant to grow. Now imagine we open the box six months later and there's this plant that's trying to bust out of the box. There's this plant that's bearing fruit. It's flowering. It's stunning. It's beautiful. It's, other plants are growing right around it. You know, it's infecting everything else. There's all the other plants and boxes are starting to grow as well. It's going crazy. This thing is growing. That's what's going on with the church. That's what Luke's trying to say about it. He's saying, look, all the conditions are against it. Everything, this, this church is in a box. Nothing should be helping this church grow. Everything is against it. It should be dying. The conditions are anti-growth. Yet, what's going on? It's exploding. It's growing. Maybe we should pay attention to it. And in fact, that's actually what Gamaliel said. If you've read through the book of Acts, you know there's this scene where there's this religious leader named Gamaliel, and people, his, his followers are coming to him and saying, you know, people are following Jesus, they're, fo- they're talking about Jesus, Peter and John are doing all these things. I, we don't know what to do about this. Should we stamp it out? Should we stop it? Should we, should we kill people? Like, what are we supposed to do about this? And he says, everybody chill. 
for a second, okay? Let's pay attention to what's happening here. And he says this, and he says, look, there are plenty of movements that have come before this that have died. And he says this, he says, some time ago, there was a guy named Thutis who appeared and claiming to be somebody and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed and all of his followers were dispersed and it came to nothing, right? Gamaliel has been around a while. He's like, look, this is just the news cycle, right? This happens. We get it, right? There's this, okay, so there's another movement. This has happened. There's been a movement before. Okay, let me tell you about another movement that's happened in my lifetime. And he says, and then there's Judas the Galilean. And he appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. But he too was killed and all his followers were scattered. And here's what he's trying to get at, right? You know, Jesus, he was crucified, right? Their leader had also been killed. But then he says, therefore, in the present case, here's what I advise you. Leave these men alone and let them go. He says, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it's going to fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. What's he trying to say? He's saying, look, if something is really going on here, even if you try to create the conditions where it can't grow, even if you try to wreck it, even if you try to ruin it, even if you try to start rumors about it, you're not going to be able to stop it if it's real. It's going to keep growing no matter what conditions are against it. And what you're going to find out is that you're not just fighting against this church. You're actually fighting against God himself. And what Gamaliel, I'm sure, found out and what we see in the first couple centuries of the church. In Acts, you see the church grow from 120 to thousands. But then after Acts, you see the, the church begin to spread throughout the whole world. And Rodney Stark notes this. He said, in the first three centuries, so in the first 300 years of the church, the church grew from 120 men and women to approximately 6 million people scattered throughout the Roman Empire, purely on the message of the gospel and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, it grew by a rate of 43% per decade. And that's before Constantine made it the official religion of Rome. That's before it was made official and then it was like everybody was just doing it because it was the cool thing. This is like way before that, where it was, you had the early adopters and then you had tons of people beginning to follow from 120 to 6 million over the course of three centuries. And so there's no argument about this, right? The early church was a growing church. It was full of the spirit, full of the power and presence of God. And the Lord was adding daily to their numbers, those who were being saved. And in a minute, I want us to consider sort of four notes on healthy growth in the early church and what that looked like and what it didn't look like. Um, But before that, I want to start by talking about four growth strategies that I don't think the early church came up with when they put their heads together. There's this thing that I I, I continue to discover as I've been around the church for, I've almost been, I've been around the church my whole life. I've been working in churches for 10 years. Um, I've heard a lot of people talk about ways to grow a church. I've read a lot of articles on how to grow your church. Um, And here are just a few of the strategies that I don't think um, the early church adopted when they were when they were growing. Um, One is to soften our theology, right? They were saying some things that were pretty offensive back then. It would have been tempting to say, "Uh, Jesus, you know, he wasn't, you know, this whole crucifixion on a cross, it would have been tempting to drop that and maybe just make Jesus into a nice moral example because that was offensive in that culture. It was like, we, we don't make that, that doesn't make sense, but they didn't drop that. But what you find today is that as churches are in decline, or not just our church, but the church in general is in decline, you see a lot of churches and denominations say, okay, here's what we need to do. There are a couple points of our theology that I think we just need to slowly let evaporate, Um, especially on matters of sexuality, especially on matters of Jesus is the only way to God. Maybe we could say he's just a way to God, and we'll, we'll we'll just go from there. Here's what the data points to, though, is that when churches do this, often what happens is that church fades into nothing quicker than churches that hold on. 
Um, it's amazing what happens as churches begin to soften they, or let go of the essential parts of their faith. Often those are the first churches to actually close their doors. Um, they begin to let go of the very thing that makes them different than the world. When the church stops being different than the world, eventually we just look like everybody else. And there's no reason to show up on Sunday because I could just stay home because I'm not hearing anything different there. And so that's one of the things that I hear. Another thing that I hear is this, uh, is to hire a younger pastor, preferably with skinny ripped jeans. Um, somebody that um, makes people, uh, you know, people can relate to, um, or hire a younger worship leader, or hire a, a younger youth pastor, or hire a younger children's pastor, or get a younger worship team. Um, and and there, there's just, I hear that all the time, sort of a way that churches can grow. Um, I, but I can't imagine, again, the early church going up to Peter and saying, Peter, you're your pop culture references aren't resonating with the young people anymore. <laughs> you referenced MASH last week, Peter. Come on, nobody understands what that's all about. Um, and, you know, there's, I don't see that they were going up to him and doing that. And I don't think that was their strategy for growth. It's not that younger pastors or older pastors or, or older pastors are better or younger pastors are bad. But it's the idea, again, but if that becomes your primary strategy for growth, uh, you're, you're in more trouble than you think. Um, another thing that you see is to just build a bigger building. Um, over the past couple of decades, this is what a lot of churches did. It's not, again, it's not that building bigger buildings is wrong. That's fine. But if that becomes your strategy for growth, you're going to get in trouble. Um, again, there's this tendency that there's, you see it, you know, it comes from that movie, but if you build it, they're just going to show up, right? If you just build it off an exit next to a Target with a Chick-fil-A, they're going to come. The masses will come to church. I will go to that church, in fact, um, and make my life way more convenient, especially if there was an Aldi there. Uh, most, you know, most modern church planners would not plant a church right here. They'd be like, you have, wait, you have seven parking spaces? And that's it? <laughs> What's your strategy, right? You know, that, but this is, where, this is where we're at. But if you go back 50 years, often what would have happened is our church, churches like ours, just picked up and shifted somewhere else. And that became their strategy for growth. And here's my favorite strategy. It's the one that I see the most, our church practice even more than anything else. It's just make more babies. Um, you'd be amazed at how that grows a church. Our church is full of children, um, which is fine. Again, I think the early church probably outpaced us when it came to making babies. Um, but the reality is, um, this is not the best strategy for church growth. I just threw that one on the end for fun. So again, when I think about the early church, I don't think that these are, you know, when they put their heads together and like, okay, how are we going to grow? When they were in that room, that upper room, all 120 of them, you know, Peter stood up. He's like, all right, guys, strategies for growth. Just raise your hand. We're going to let them go one at a time. What they actually did is they just got on their knees and started to pray and God got to work. And so I want us to begin to think about what does healthy growth in the early church look like and what, what does that mean for our church today? Um, and so I want to talk about just four notes on what healthy growth, just from this short passage, four notes on healthy growth in the early church. Here's the first thing for us is that healthy growth is God-made, not man-made. Healthy growth is God-made, not man-made. Notice that the text doesn't say, the church added to their number daily, those who are being saved. Or the preaching of a senior pastor added to their number daily, those who are being saved. Or how amazing their children's ministry was added to their number daily, those who are being saved. Or how effective their outreach events were, was adding to the church daily, those who are being saved. Who does it say added to the church daily? It says, the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. If we were to do a sentence diagram right now, which that just created chills in some of you, the Lord, if we put the Lord, in this, he's the subject, right? Lord, the subject, doing the verb, adding. The Lord is adding. He's the one adding to the number daily those who are being saved. And first, or in in Corinth, there was this little church in Corinth that Paul had started, St. Paul. He wrote a lot of the, the New Testament. He had started this church in Corinth, and 
Um, he had left, and another pastor named Apollos had done some preaching there as well. And some other, I'm sure they were listening to some other podcast pastors who were really cool from New York and all these other places. And so and they, what happened, though, is it started to create some divisions in the church, and people were like, well, I think this pastor is great. I think, no, but I think this pastor's preaching is really good. All right, I listen to this pastor online, and I wish our pastor preached more like that. Or this person baptized me. Who baptized you? This person baptized me. And there was all these arguments happening in the church. And in the end, Paul, Paul gets to the heart of the argument. He says, look, look, let's talk about this. He says, what after all is Apollos? And what's Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned each his task. And here's the kicker. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but who made it grow? God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Notice again, he doesn't say that the church does nothing. He say he planted, you know, Apollos watered. There are a lot of great things our church does, you know, um, from forming a good mission and vision or forming good values or, or forming an incredible children ministry or developing leaders or uh, having an amazing welcome team and all the different things this church does. All of those things are good. Those are just planting and watering. It's the Lord who ultimately will grow the life of the church. Again, I hear this tendency, not just in our church, in a lot of churches, to point to something in the church as the reason our church is growing. To say, it's this, it's because of this person, or it's because we just chose, we just sing really powerful worship songs or whatever. But in the end, it's God who makes the church grow in a way that lasts. There are things that we can do to help or hinder that growth. But if our growth is completely dependent on our strategies, ultimately we'll fade to nothing, as even the church at Corinth did eventually. So the first thing is that healthy growth is God-made, not man-made. Second thing is this. It's healthy growth is primarily by conversions, not transfers. Notice again that the Lord, it doesn't say the Lord added to their number some Christians who moved to the new housing development in Bellevue um, or some Christians who came over from First Baptist Church of Jerusalem when it closed down. Um, it doesn't say the Lord uh, just shuffled a couple people around, but it says, it says this, it says the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. The church had no choice but to grow by conversions because there literally weren't other churches to take Christians from at the time. Now, I do want to say that if you're here because you moved to the new housing development or because you moved to Bellevue or work brought you here or you've come to our church for whatever reason, we love that you are here. But here's what I want to say is that true growth, especially when you're measuring and you're thinking about is our church growing or not growing, true growth isn't happening when Christians are moving from one church to a number, another because the total number of Christians stays the same. Um, I want to illustrate this just quickly. Um, I want you to imagine um, this one's Bellevue Christian, right? And let's imagine this is Bellevue Christian Church. Um, and these water molecules represent all of you guys. You can decide which water molecule you are. And let's imagine now um, this is another church, and these are just some other Christians in the world. And so, you know, there's a new, um, you know, one church down the street, you know, they're having some problems, right? They're preaching, you know, their pastors. He's getting a little old. His pop culture is irrelevant. So we get a few of those people. Right, they come over. Um, you know, a couple people move to our town because work brings them here, and Amazon decides to show up in Bellevue, and all, all those things. So we get a few more people that show up at Bellevue Christian. Uh, they open up a Target across the street, and everybody's like, I love Bellevue, we're moving here. And you, you get a couple more Christians that way. And you keep, you know, transferring Christians from some other places. And I want you to think about, though, this isn't a magic trick, has the total number of water between these two glasses changed at all? 
No, it's the same amount, right? We have the same amount of water here. The total amount of Christians is the same, right? It's, it's, it's fine. We love that Christians are ending up at new churches as they move to new places or for whatever reason. But in the end, the total number stays the same. Now, I want you to imagine this is all of our unbelievers right here, right? Um, you know, and let's imagine now, we, you know, a few unbelievers get added here because God is doing some work in this church. And a few more get added over here because God is doing some work in this church as well. And then, you know, we can keep adding and God is just doing some things and it's amazing. Now, I want you to ask, again, not a magic trick, is, uh, is the total number of water in those two glasses increased? Right? Again, that's what real growth looks like. Real growth isn't just because people ended up at our church who are already Christians, which is awesome. We love that. But real growth, and the growth that we really want to pay attention to, is growth that's happening because people who never knew Jesus are coming to know him from the first time. Our family, our friends, who are far from him, our neighbors, are actually coming and meeting him for the first time at this church. My friend Seth Zimmerman, he's an amazing pastor right down the street. Sometimes he comes here on Sundays morning with, uh, with his kids, I think just so he can get a break and have our kids' ministry, because our kids' ministry is so awesome, and they always talk about it. But Seth comes on Sundays. Sometimes I go to his church on Sunday evenings, because they meet in the evenings. Um, and one of the things that he told me when they started their church, he said, Austin, we want to be a church that grows by conversions, not just transfers. And that was the first time somebody had ever said that to me. And it really stood out to me as just like, yeah, that's really how the early church grew. Again, it's not just that transfers aren't something that, thank the Lord for that, but God is also adding, wants to add people daily, those who are being saved, those who weren't saved and now are being saved because of the gospel. So the second thing then is that healthy growth is primarily by conversions, not transfers. Here's the third thing. Healthy growth is collaborative, not competitive. Healthy growth is collaborative, not competitive. Um, again, at the time of the early church, there was really only one church, right? The, tr- the church had spread to places like Antioch, but they didn't see the church in Antioch and the church in Jerusalem as competing churches. They saw themselves as being part of the same team. A win in Antioch was a win in Jerusalem. You go back to our previous illustration again. If water gets added to this cup here, right? I'm getting a little nervous and get to the top. Okay, this cup over here can start to get exciting these water molecules can start jumping up and rejoicing because God is adding to the total number. We don't have to be like, oh, but now we have less than this one. No, we can rejoice because God is adding to the number, not just our church, but the total number of the church, those who are being saved. Um, it's the reason that, you know, when somebody gets baptized at Redeemer North Boroughs down the street, we can actually rejoice as a church. When somebody decides to go to City Reach Church right here around the corner, we can actually rejoice as a church. When somebody moves to the East End, you know, just moves pretty far away from our church, and they're saying, Austin, I'm struggling to go, to, you know, come all the way to Bellevue, I can say, actually, there are two great churches out there, Renaissance Church and, and Northway Church in Oakland. I know their pastors, their incredible churches go there, and I can see that as a win, as a victory, um, because that person is staying in the life of the church. Um, we can rejoice because we're not competing with other churches. That's the worst thing I see. I've been in ministry again for like 10 years between working in youth ministries, working here. And one of the things I see in the church is this competition model between churches. That's not who we're competing against. We're competing. We're, we're, we're seeing the kingdom of God advance and all the churches are participating together in that, even if we're a part of different denominations. So healthy growth is collaborative, not competitive. And finally, this healthy growth is more incremental than explosive. Healthy growth is more incremental than explosive. So again, notice that the Lord is adding to their number daily or day by day, those who are being saved, which is another way of saying incrementally. 
Now, just before that, in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, 3,000 people got added. It was an explosive day. And that's the, that's the day everybody's telling stories about that day. Everybody's like, where were you on the day 3,000? Were you part of the 120? Were you an early adopter you know, of this sort of thing? That's the day a lot of people look back to because it's easy to see that kind of powerful growth. It's why even today, if you've ever been a part of a church or some of you have been a part of churches for a long time, and you've been through seasons in your own church history where your church exploded, where you, know, you experienced what uh, a lot of people refer to as revival or renewal or when it happens at a culture-wide level, awakening and where tons of people, there's explosive growth. But the normal, ordinary way that God grows his church is very incremental. It's through everyday relationship-driven evangelism where God is just adding to our number daily, little by level, rather than by big explosive events. Again, although those happen, um, it's usually day by day. And it's harder to see, though. Again, incremental growth is hard to see. Explosive growth is easy to see. I, met, I experienced this yesterday. Um, I was at um, an event called Merge. A bunch of young adults from all over the city came together just to worship and learn for a day. Um, but I saw some people yesterday who hadn't seen my son Levi in a year. Now, I've been watching Levi every day. And I, like, I get the sense that he's getting bigger, but I don't see him day by day get bigger. He just basically looks the same. And then all of a sudden, I, I see people I haven't seen in a year. Last year, this event was Levi's like, first public appearance. He was two weeks old. And then people are seeing him yesterday for the first time, my son. And they're like, you have a giant. I don't know what this is. This isn't a baby. This is, like, this is a toddler. It's a preschooler. I don't know what this thing is. And I've been watching him right, grow incrementally for, for time. But when you look at, when you're somebody who hasn't seen the thing in a while or seen this child, suddenly you're like, wow, this looks like explosive growth, but it's actually been very incremental over the course of the year. It's the same with the church. Often when you're just adding people day by day, it's hard to see the growth until you start experiencing some problems that come with growth. And you're like, you start looking around or you start comparing numbers with where we were 10 years ago. You're like, wow, this church really has grown a lot over the past while because it's been incremental rather than often explosive. And so again, those are just a few of the things that we see in the early church, is that healthy growth was God-made rather than man-made. Healthy growth is primarily by conversions, not transfers. Healthy growth is collaborative rather than competitive. And finally, healthy growth tends to be more incremental than explosive. In summary, growth is one of the marks of the life of the early church. Um, Again, not everything that is growing is healthy, but most things that are healthy are growing. Um, again, that's nothing against, that doesn't mean if, if church isn't growing, that necessarily means that it's unhealthy. I'm just saying most things that are healthy tend toward grow, although there are a variety of factors. So this number from the beginning, which is 101, but I've made it 102 just in case, uh, was, you know, that number matters a little bit. It's not the end-all, be-all of our church, but it matters a little bit, and it tells us part of a story. And healthy growth doesn't mean that the church won't ever experience problems. In fact, in a few weeks, Chuck's going to talk about how healthy growth probably means that your church will experience growing pains and problems that naturally arise from growing. But here's what I want us to do as a church. Instead of shooting for growth, I want us to shoot to be a healthy church. And what we're going to find is that growth will be a side effect. But if we shoot for growth, just like those companies we talked about earlier, if we make growth the primary indicator, what we're going to find is that we might actually miss health in the end. Um, earlier I read to you some statistics from how the early church grew. I want to talk to you just a little bit about how the early church, or how the church today is a little bit in decline. Um, there's a um, LifeWay Facts and Trends put out a, uh, a stat recently, and they said in 1900, there were twice as many Christians in Europe as the rest of the world combined. Just think about that. Twice as many Christians in Europe as the rest of the world combined. 117 years later, by 2017, both Africa and Latin America will have passed Europe in the number of Christians living there. That's not just because they grew rapidly, 
because God is doing an incredible work in the rest of the world. But it's actually because in Europe, in the United States, in Australia, what people have traditionally called the West have actually been decreasing. There's another uh, ebook called The Great Opportunity, and in it, they talk, they give kind of some predictions about the next, between now and 2050. Um, And in it, they say, between now and 2050, the percentage of Christians in the U.S. will drop from 73% to 59%. That's the conservative estimate on that. Um, The number of people unaffiliated with any religion will climb from 17% to 30%, and about 1 million young adults and youths will walk away from the religion they grew up with every year, about 35 million by 2050. But there's a reason that they call this thing the great opportunity instead of doom and gloom article. Um, they call it the great opportunity because what they know is the same with the early church is that when conditions seem the worst, God seems to do something miraculous. That our God is in the business of bringing dead things to life. I've heard over the past 10 years so many percentages about the church and about how it's dying and all this stuff. But I'm a Christian. And one of the things I know is that the gospel means that God can bring life out of death. What if God has poised our church to be part of what he's doing in the church in this country? What if God has poised our church to be part of what he's going to do and the growth he's going to bring out of what seems like death and decline? What if, when all these cultural conditions are against us, God says, now's the time. Now's where I'm going to show the world that the church is not dead, but that I'm bringing new life out of it again. I believe that, you know, we have a lot of children and young adults at this church. I'm believing and I'm praying that the seeds that are planted in them grow to full bloom. That instead of being the people that walk away, they become the people that stay despite cultural conditions telling them otherwise. I believe that Bellevue Christian Church can be part of the story God does between now and 2050. I believe God wants to do a work here. I saw that work yesterday when I saw young adults gathered for Merge. I've seen that work at, at the, a couple weeks ago when we were at fight night worshiping and praying for our friends. Um, and I believe that if we're following the lead of the Spirit, God might not only give us health, He might actually bless us with growth as well. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. If that teaching moved you or left you with questions, let us know by sending a message to hello at bellevuechristian.church. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast